Welcome back. We are diving into my book, Mastering Our Minds, Finding Calm. Again, I am Basil Schofield, and I would like to go ahead and journey on to the next chapter with you. If you are ready and you have your paper prepared, or if you're following along in the book, don't worry, there's notes in the back for you to go ahead and jot some notes down. I have made sure that there are lines. We are starting on page 11 today, How to Cope with Anxiety. Now, coping with anxiety starts with understanding the route of the situation. Let's take a second to realize some of the things that make us anxious. For some people, past experiences can bring up a lot of unwanted feelings we all know as trauma. When life deals us some cards that we're just not used to, we often respond in unkind behaviors to display our discomforts. Some people lash out while others often fidget or become very distant. It's not always understood why we or others react this way. It's hard to cope with these unsure situations by ourselves. What we can do is recognize ourselves and try our best to resolve tense struggles, one step at a time. This can be projected as insecurities from one person to another, even our own insecurities, or maybe not even that, maybe just traumas, or as we talked about in the last episode here, um, the experiences of emotions, in which case it's an emotional response, an instinct to respond whenever something that discomforts us happens. It's a, an issue to protect ourselves and defend what we find to be our realistic foundation. Between both the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain, we understand that we have one side that handles a system of defending itself against unknown possibilities because we have another side of the brain that dictates this is what's logical and we have to stick to it. Now usually this is the left brain speaking to the right brain and the right brain is trying to tell the left brain, hey, this doesn't match with your ideology, we need to prepare against this and react. So let's do a quick exercise. Let's consider three things that bring to our daily lives some forms of anxiety. Here are some simple yet common examples. A. Did I leave the stove on? B. Is that person talking about me? C. Is this person trying to manipulate me? D. Does that person want to hurt me? Does any of this happen to you? Well, if you said yes to any of these questions, then you have an idea or some sort of underlying concept of what anxiety is. Now, these are pretty minor in comparison to what some really deep anxieties could be. Some people have full-on battles in their heads. Now, we'll get to some of those later on. And I know that a lot of you who are listening have a firm idea of what it is that I'm talking about specifically. I like to call them shadow conflicts because uh, you, you could have a moment where you're thinking of a boss that doesn't really treat you well. And you'll go back into your mind and you will fight this boss in an argument over and over again. No, not a physical combat, but a verbal battle of wits. And you have to remember, this person's not actually there to defend themselves or argue in their place. You are creating this battle in your own mind and having this conversation with them until you win. And this isn't real. This is, again, a 
type of paranoia that is divulged from anxiety. Now, this type of anxiety happens whenever we feel the need to defend ourselves, and it's not always clear and concise as to why we go through these battles, but sometimes it's better to do these shadow conflicts in our head as opposed to go to sleep one night stressed out and have nightmares. This is a form of letting our bodies relinquish what is already there before we have to tear ourselves apart from our dreams and ruin a good night's rest. Now, based on the level and degree of our reactions, this could mean that we're dealing with some underlying trauma. In some cases, even PTSD. For those of you who don't know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Let us not diagnose ourselves with anything just yet, though. Nobody likes suffering through these kinds of battles. We may even find ourselves questioning our self-worth at the end of one of these episodes. What's important to remember is that we are not the only ones facing these challenges. More so, we are not the first, nor will we ever be the last. It is very important to understand this so that we can begin the process of moving forward. I know we can reach our goals, and together we will start this journey and achieve many things. We are already following the right path by reading and continuing self-discovery. For those of you listening in, you are doing the right thing by listening in and trying to find for yourself what it is that helps you. Because in the war on mental health, knowledge is all of our best ally. It is likely safe to say that if we are showing a curiosity towards this book or this podcast, we have likely faced one or two episodes of high panic-induced anxiety-driven attacks on our body's system. Let us take a moment to consider what these episodes have felt like before we consider some tools to assist us. We know we are experiencing an anxiety attack when A. Our heart rate escalates uncontrollably, B. Our nerves tense up. C. The anxiety itself rises. D. Mood levels are diverse. E. Our body is flush. F. We feel cold. G. We begin to sweat. Essentially, these are moments that our body starts to scare itself. It's the nervous system preparing itself for something that it does not know is going to happen very well. The stress is compiled and the body needs to shake it out, figure out what exactly is wrong. If we know what this feels like, I want to go ahead and say congratulations on making it through one of the hardest battles the human body can deliver to itself. We are truly fighters, those of us who are here today, and we should believe that we can do our best to deal to heal ourselves. We already are. Thanks for being an inspiration. Never give up. Always keep fighting. We all deserve one more day. These anxiety attacks can be fierce. They can be frightening. They can be terrifying. They are one of the scariest things that we will undergo. For those of you who have not yet experienced it, but you're following along, I appreciate your dedication to still wanting to know more. Because I'm pretty sure that one day you will run into somebody in your life, whether it be a relationship partner, a loved one, friend, family, child, and they might be dealing with high anxiety. They might be dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. You can be somebody that helps them. Let's take a moment for some self-inclusion. Reflecting. During a time that we felt extreme discomfort, do we remember what caused us to feel anxious, stressed, or even in panic? 
Can we recall what it was that, and I know this is a, a word that most people don't like, what triggered us specifically? I get that a lot of people don't like to admit that they have a sort of trigger, but unfortunately as human beings, we grow to learn and accept that Yes, there are some things that can be said that can really displace us in our minds, and these are what we call triggers. Next one. Why do we think these emotions made us feel so out of control with our ability to handle ourselves? So go ahead and write down what you think made your emotions so out of control in that moment that you felt that extreme discomfort, what it was that you didn't have the ability to hold on and ground yourself. Why is it that you reacted in a way of anxiety? What brought you to that level? Now, some people, they have a fear of dying. They have a, a panic that shakes their entire system. Anytime they think of that feeling of where they thought that they were going to die, they relive that moment over and over again. And they keep going back to it in their mind. And it brings up this feeling and it's uncontrollable because they just don't know how to ground themselves whenever they feel this. And this feeling is so terrifying and it's understandable because the fear of death itself is one thing that a lot of people take for granted because they just see life as ever fleeting and we all die eventually, right? So people just take it for granted think, okay, well, it's not my time. I have every other day to go. Well, yeah, you do. But at the same time, there are some people out there who have been shaken so hard that they realize a little bit more than you do just how inevitable that feeling can be. And we have to be patient with them because they're still trying to ground themselves to the, the level of adaptation that you have to be able to accept that as long as they keep breathing, they still have more days to come. Next question. How could we have handled ourselves better without talking down to ourselves? Now, this is a big one for many people because everybody seems to have something in their life that tells them how they manage an emotion or a feeling. And it dictates the precise amount of control that they should have by creating for them a type of mantra that they repeat to themselves. Now, for some people, it kind of sounds like this. Oh, you dummy, why are you doing this? Oh, you're so stupid. Well, it's still talking down to yourself, and it's not giving you a positive light to move in. You have to give yourself a way to pat yourself and say, hey, it's all right. We're going to keep going forward. Everything's fine. We just need to realize what is at stake and what is not. What's at stake is we're kind of wasting time, but it's okay. We just need to ground ourselves for a brief moment because everything's all right. There's nothing wrong in this moment. Now, preferably for guys that are dealing and struggling with some issues, the ones that I've spoken to, I usually tell them to just remind themselves as if they're their best friend. Say, hey, bud, everything's okay. Everything's going to be fine, buddy. It's just a good way of looking at it. I want to say thank you for this introspection, and let's continue. So we may be asking ourselves several questions. How do I prevent this? 
Can I do anything to prevent these episodes? Why does this happen? The answer is only ever complicated when we stop listening to our body. Some of us may struggle to talk with ourselves, but that is perfectly okay. We are here to overcome this obstacle together. The journey of self-discovery is complex, but that is exactly why inversely we communicate with the world around us. We use the judgment and guidance of others to structure us in a manner that roots us back to the path we are meant to follow, to fit in with society. Sometimes we miss this opportunity because the agenda of the world is to usually focus on itself. Sure, jobs exist for people who struggle, and we typically are referred to see accredited and certified therapists, psychologists, or psychiatrists that help tackle the diverse complexities of the mind. But what about those of us, though, who are not so lucky as to be privileged with the affordability of such commodities? This is why we have books, to educate those who can only reach what is realistically achievable for them in their current moment. A book is an experience. It can open the mind in ways that a conversation cannot. When we read, we do the work for ourselves. As opposed to a lecture, we only ever retain so much from what we process. And in the heuristic learning method, we allow ourselves to discover. In discovery, we achieve for ourselves a sense of accomplishment. This cycle is the revolving door of dopamine that influences the human mind to strive for further progress. Let us continue facing the reflected mirror of our identity's self-realized education. When coming face-to-face with ourselves, we have to understand three major factors of our mind and body communicating as one. Inside the human canvas is a painting of our life's journey. All of these fine details can be found in the memories we form in every part of our body. Whether we realize it or not, there's a complex river of roots that flow throughout us that leads to every inch of ourselves, from fingers to toes, yes, your ears and your nose. The nervous system is a roadmap of every single action we have ever completed. The first major factor that we have is the medial prefrontal cortex. Usually activated when at rest, the prefrontal cortex metabolizes and oxidizes lactate from glucose that is used to feed neurons that have been changed to a threshold and released to communicate between each synapsis. A mouthful of information to process. But what does this mean? This cycle allows the brain to recognize cognition and handle memory cycles while in the resting process while still absorbing glucose, which is transporting cortisol. For those who do not already know, Cortisol is the stress hormone. Cortisol is also part of the second major factor, the hippocampus. An event occurs in the hippocampus called flashbulb memories that we experience as quick and immediate memories that relay past events or situations which drag us into our memories to either defend us or prevent suffering or react as best as possible to protect the rest of our body. The brain's key job is the longevity of our overall life safety. The neurotransmitter norepinephrine, which is a hormonal form of adrenaline, allows cortisol to act as a messenger across not only the neurons, but the nerves and muscles, as well as other glands. These responses in the hippocampus are ideal for educating the brain. But for those of us with extreme conditionings, we tend to develop disorders that occur psychiatrically, or even neurologically. 
This is because education stops serving a function to inform us when we no longer learn to handle stressful conditions and instead learn to survive. There is a major difference between surviving and learning to live and let go. Without a return to calm, we only keep facing the suffering that gives us these experiences. Due to its close access to the adrenal and pituitary glands, glucocorticoids carrying our cortisol damage the hippocampus with long-term trauma, resulting in post-traumatic stress disorder. Our flashbulb memory forces us into an acute paranoia state, constantly reliving our fears and seeing them transition in places that they should not exist. When processing fear, we are faced with our third largest factor, the amygdala. Fear, anxiety, anger, and most behavioral choices are all instigated by the amygdala. Most of us have heard the term fight or flight. We can thank our amygdala for these actions. In a healthy situation, the amygdala allows us to process our emotions and understand how we truly feel inside. But when we are faced with constant stress and never-ending exhaustion, understanding arousal and love can even look like a dangerous situation. That's a lot of information to process. Let's look at some concepts before we begin our therapeutic adventure. How can I tell when my mind is processing? Well, one of the best ways we can listen to our bodies is through how we rest and internalize the different situations we face. For some people, they speak and create situations with assumptions where there really is no need for these kinds of issues. Now, part of this is a presumed notion of how we grew up or were taught to believe situations should morally flow. The common sense factor. For other instances, this is the subconscious trying to ask for help in a mind that has been wronged. But the unfortunate reality is that we often see these people as lashing out and seeking attention. The sad truth is that they are looking for a certain kind of attention which has been non-existent. The nurture and care that has been devoid in their life. Not everyone has the energy to attend to these issues in our current day and age of society where living is already a hard process to navigate. We cannot have an expectation of others to solve our own personal issues. In order to prevent being placed in a hospital or even locked away in an asylum until we fix ourselves with severe medications and psychotherapy, we can start the work early. We can take preventive measures to heal ourselves. Self-reliance and self-sufficient behaviors are the best defense and discipline against a world full of others other self-centered individuals. Creating a lifestyle that manages these stress factors and keeps a rhythm to follow is important. Where expectations breed depression, we must be our own consistency, and the most consistent thing we can afford sometimes is rest. Let's be better than what the world can teach us. I believe in us. Thanks again for being strong enough to educate and inform ourselves. With this, we're going to go ahead and take a look at this next part here. Uh, and then follow it up with a self-inclusion, so it would be best for us to make sure we have a pen and paper ready. Uh, let's take a look at sleep cycles so we can understand how we're processing our, our stress and these different things that we deal with throughout a daily basis. When at rest, the body naturally confronts all of the issues that we face on a, on a daily basis, and even throughout our livelihood by compiling as much as, of it as it can inside uh, Our brains are basically super quantum computers, and we call our brains this because it's funneling it into a type of media model that allows us to review data as a whole. This process is called dreaming. When dreaming, we can calculate a small fraction 
with rapid eye movement, or REM cycles, uh, REM. We realize during our REM sleep that the deeper we fall into our resting state of mind, the more invigorating the imagery becomes in our dreams as it tries to explain the friction of the reality that we face. These occurrences look completely different to everyone. Some examples of REM cycles include nightmares, which for most people are manifestations of fear, regret, guilt, tension, nerves, anxiety, etc. They're just unwanted dreams that awaken us in the middle of the night. Uh, lucid dreams. Now, for most people, lucid dreams are the ability to know you're dreaming and possibly control events. These ones are easier to remember dreams uh, because they we can still remember after waking up. Yes, uh, sometimes good and bad dreams can be lucid, but usually the more lucid the dream is, the more understood you feel with this kind of contexture of feeling that you have inside your mind, the more control you have over what it is that you're thinking about. Um, for other people, there's a type of sleep paralysis. It's uh, stress and health issues that wake the body up before the nervous system has a chance to awaken. Usually the fear plays a trick on the brain that shocks the person awake. Most typical instances are the feeling of an unknown presence in the room crawling on top of the person and choking their airway. Uh, this constricted breathing is usually the body forcing itself to regain control and wake up. Most people exhibit this type of night terror while heavily stressed, facing a lack of sleep, and often overusing stimulants like caffeine, nicotine, etc. Now, I have a, a small section in the book here on page 17 stating uh, other known contributors to a poor night's rest are as follows. Sleep apnea, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, narcolepsy, and even unregulated schedule um, that most of the working class members have to face on a daily basis whenever their job dictates that they need to get off of work at eight o'clock at night and then get back up for two o'clock in the morning to be there for a truck or et cetera, et cetera. Those who work those kind of shifts know exactly what I mean. Let's go ahead and do that self-inclusion. Again, if we are incapable of answering these questions at this time, we can just read for the time being. For those following along, if you don't have uh, the ability to write it down, pause the podcast, think about your response to this. Do we remember a time when we found it hard to get a good night's rest? How did that feel? Was it groggy, exhausting, fatigued? Were you just tired? Next question. How did it affect us the next day? So after you had this really tired, exhausting feeling, the next day... Did you have an, an extenuating circumstance of lack of motivation, fatigue during work to where you couldn't get your job done? Next question. How big of a role does our rest play in our daily lives, and can we improve? Well, these are questions that I want you to ask yourself right now. Now, I'll go ahead and move over to the section where it'll help give us some more motivation. But for the time being, thank you for the introspection. When the mind is reaching a threshold for stress, we see our behaviors start to change. In some cases, our friends, family, coworkers, or even classmates, depending on our age or situation, can seem a little bipolar. Self-recognition is one of the best tools in our arsenal for circumnavigating our irrational brains to ground us and bring focus. In order to stay on the best path of living, we can start asking daily simple questions, such as, 
Did I get enough rest last night? Did I eat enough today? Do I need to exercise? How is my motivation? Sometimes we feel like we can take on the world, even when our levels are low. Some people make the mistake of thinking that only one or two ideas can solve all their problems. We do not want to overeat and not exercise because we then become lethargic. It may be difficult, but having the self-discipline to reach our goals can motivate us to conquer the day. If we find that our own personal behavior seems unhealthy, the next best step may be to take the time to write out a plan for achieving our goals. Sticking to a consistent schedule can really take our lives to the next level. However, we can sometimes expect too much from ourselves, so the best thing to remember is that simply taking the next step can help us reach our destination. Consistency is key, but for some, it's not always obvious how to build. Small and gradual adjustments do more for an overall convention of growth than a forced mass convergence to convalescence. If we consider ourselves a patient, the method of diagnosing should reflect ample room for observation. A doctor does not just throw everything at a board to see what sticks. They evaluate. At least a good doctor does. There are a lot of poor doctors that immediately resort to memorize dictionary definitions instead of looking at the patient as an individual. Every person is different and must be treated as a new case. A single pill does not solve every problem, just as equally a diet of medication does not allow the body to work for itself. Any prescription is a tool, another means to an end. We must be able to help ourselves. Our ultimate ally is a positive mindset. Positivity promotes a dose of the essentials we need for prolonged longevity. Now, a dose stands for dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Through small progressive actions, we can do our best to prevent major issues from growing or reoccurring. Small steps build confidence, and confidence manifests a positive attitude. For those of you following along, thank you again. I want to go ahead and give you a mantra for today. Those of you following in the book, you'll read that on page 20. Show up every day. I'm going to say that again. Show up every day. You build muscle over time. Whether we work out a muscle, learn a new idea, or want to build a healthy habit, small steps will help us achieve everything. We never go to the gym and start lifting heavy weights. The use of a lighter weight guides us. As a kid, learning your native language required days and days of processing the foundation of base words and then grammatically devising structure to your sentences. Healing the mind is the same concept. We do not heal overnight. The brain is a muscle, and when a muscle has been hurt, it has to do several kinds of stretches and extensions to relinquish the fear of being hurt again before it can be used to its full capability once more. The brain has to face fear without facing frustration. Being scared does not teach a healthy way to heal. It only teaches how to continuously face more fear. Some people can learn to be callous and hardened, but this does not mean they are healed. Just because they can handle a bad situation does not mean their brain handles it well. Do not force yourself to face your fears. Only force yourself to show up every day. 
the more your brain becomes comfortable with understanding that the same issue is not going to occur, it can wash away the trauma and clean itself. Our brains can do this easier when they have proper nutrients, blood flow, and a calm environment to gradually acclimate back to the point of normal functions. Be kind to yourself. Always. Play hard without being hard on yourself. This is how you build real muscles. This is how to be strong in the real way. I want to say thank you again for following along. Those of you who are enjoying the podcast, if you'd like to pick up the book and go ahead and read alongside us as we continue, we'll be picking back up on page 21 with How to Cope with Stress. Again, you can find that on Amazon or in the leaks below the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast or iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening. Uh, we're all over the place. We appreciate your time. Have a blessed day. Take care.